Conversations with Orbita, a podcast dedicated to helping healthcare and life science organizations reimagine the patient journey with conversational AI. This is where automation meets empathy. Welcome to Conversations with Orbita. This is Nate Trelor, your host, and I'm happy today to uh, invite to the conversation Chelsea Beal, who is Orbita's Senior Director of Customer Success in Clinical Informatics. And today's topic is really about the vaccine access uh, challenges and opportunities that we're facing right now through this pandemic. Um, I'm really happy to have Chelsea on because she's really been on the front lines, as it were, with respect to how Orbita is supporting our clients in this uh, day and age, specific to the vaccine response. Um, Chelsea, welcome to the conversation. Thanks so much, Nate. Pleasure to be here. Chelsea, what have been some of your personal experiences in dealing with the vaccine rollout? Yeah, it's been really interesting in my family. So my um, parents are actually currently uh, with my uh, 90-year-old grandparents down in Florida. Um, so they were contending with quite a large population of um, aged individuals trying to receive vaccines recently. So my parents, um, both of whom um, are retired now, but are um, both uh, a nurse and a physician, uh, spent days trying to get my grandparents registered on websites, calling mm. offices. Again, these are two people that are um, very um, savvy in terms of digital literacy, as well as medical knowledge and connections that still struggled significantly to get my, vac- my, uh, my grandparents vaccinated. Thankfully, uh, in the last week, they've received their second dose. So I'm very excited to hear that. I also have my one brother is a police officer uh, and he's just received his uh, first vaccination. And then my other brother uh, has type one diabetes. So we're anxiously awaiting when he will become eligible as well. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that. Hey, so as I said in the intro here, you've been on the front lines. I think it's fair to say you're not out there giving vaccinations, but uh, from a digital point of view, um, we've been really busy here at Orbita, particularly in the last few months, uh, responding to the, um, the challenges that have come with the vaccine rollout. And uh, these challenges have taken on a form and a shape that I think it's fair to say has surprised even us, even though we would suggest that we're pretty close to the, the bone when it comes to knowing what's coming down here. I thought I'd start by sharing a personal experience that I had uh, with my father. My father's an octogenarian and he received his first vaccine shot a couple weeks ago. So he's teed up for his next one in uh, a week or two. Um, When I, uh, like a lot of people, I think uh, in in my area, um, I actually signed on to the vaccine calendar for my father. He didn't do it himself. He doesn't have the technical chops to do so. So I did it for him. And uh, in fact, I did it and my sister did it. And I did it on two different sites. So we actually registered my father for three different vaccine sites and uh, um, never occurred to me what the administrative implications of that are. Uh, we learned when working with our clients that um, this is a big challenge. It's making sure that when people are signing up for their vaccines, 
that they're actually coming in because their limited supply and the time slots are, are challenged. Um, what's been our, well, your experience working with uh, the Orbita partners in this capacity? Yeah, absolutely. That really articulates a challenge that we are seeing our, our clients facing and we're um, helping to support via patient outreach programs. So being able to leverage the multi-channel approach that Orbita offers to connect with patients or their family members who may have registered them for a program to identify, should they still be in that wait list and should they still be receiving communication? Um, as you noted, many folks in an effort to receive a vaccine have gone out to uh, several different sites or locations in order to add themselves to a wait list. So in order for organizations to really um, operationalize this and make it efficient, titrating supply with demand and whatnot, they need to understand who is truly active and eligible on their wait list. And then on top of that, using Orbita to gather additional data to understand the priority for those groups, understanding what factors that may drive a person higher on that wait list versus others. And then being able to continue to engage with those folks that may not yet be eligible, uh, but ensure that they are still um, receiving communication, understanding what's happening related to the vaccine, keeping them uh, engaged so that they stay willing to want to receive that vaccine and stay as accepting of the vaccine as they were when they initially signed up. And then also reducing the burden on their call center teams, because right now, as patients are waiting on the wait list, patients, family members are having to call into those call centers to understand and get updates. So really looking to automate that process, ensure that patients and their family members are receiving accurate and up-to-date communication and information. Yeah, what's interesting about this. So let's talk about automation for a second. And then I'm very interested in exploring uh, another dimension of this vaccine rollout, which is that not everybody is keen to get a vaccine and you know what, what options and solutions are out there to address that reality. Um, but back to the automation for a second. Um, what does this look like? Give me a flavor, give the audience a flavor for how this manifests, because um, I think most people listening in on this know that um, um, we're all about conversational AI and virtual assistants powered by um, bots and voice. But um, there's automation takes different forms, right? You can have a bot that responds to requests or queries or information. Uh, but we're also talking about a need for something that's a bit more proactive, right? And, and uh, what does that look like? You also use the phrase multi-channel. I think it would help to put some definition to that. Yeah, absolutely. Two great points. So as far as what that could look like, um, as you mentioned, much more proactive than a um, bot, for example, that might live on a, a web page, um, but instead is actually in the form of patient outreach communication. So uh, we're using different methods to do that and engage with patients, knowing that um, the digital literacy can really span for these patient populations. So using things like email outreach, SMS text outreach, um, and even IVR um, outreach. So connecting with patients via a phone call, um, but having that with a virtual assistant to automate uh, that experience. So that's really that kind of multi-channel approach. Um, and then taking those messages in whatever format really works best for that population or, or that particular patient and ensuring that we're continuing to provide them the information 
and the um, resources that they need to take um, the next steps as it relates to whether that be actually scheduling an appointment for a vaccine, a reminder to get that second shot for their vaccine, um, or just continuing to keep up to date on when they may be eligible. Um, so that allows that really, again, more proactive approach um, so that uh, an organization is timing that communication, uh, cascading that out to their various patients or members and ensuring that um, they're reaching them where those patients and family members may be on the digital literacy scale. Uh, again, whether that be really via that more kind of high-tech solution using um, SMS messages that then convert them over to a bot, or if it's really just that phone call um, because someone may not have um, access to a, a computer or a smartphone. Right. So to be clear, we're talking about I mean, the, the two different methods, right? A patient could go to the website and interact with the bot and uh, check their eligibility, um, you know, check for openings, um, you know, ask questions. And that, I think that kind of digital experience is becoming a bit more commonplace. It's not, it's not um, universal, but the idea there is that that bot serves as a way of automating what would otherwise be that patient maybe um, sending an email or making a phone call, right? So that's the patient reaching out. But what I think it's interesting about this is if you flip that on the head, there's an opportunity to deliver that same experience proactively through those channels you talked about, voice over a traditional phone included. But it's the same bot, right? It's the same general experience, right? It, it, obviously, Delivering something over a voice has a difference than delivering over a text bot, but ultimately we're trying to create some consistency and be able to reach the patient where they are. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Not only creating that consistency and allowing a patient to then go back to that trusted source of information um, after maybe having that initial outreach, they're able to then return to get their questions answered via that, that chat bot or assistant. Um, but then also allowing from a um, healthcare provider perspective, allowing us to really create some efficiencies with leveraging what they've already put in place for that digital front door, that chatbot that may sit on their website, and actually incorporating that as part of these campaigns. So being able to create that consistent experience while also creating efficiency from a, a um, digital and, and tech lift. Yeah. I mean, we're, and the reason for doing this is clearly to support those patients, make sure that they have the information they need, that the health system has the information they, uh, they need to um, know whether the patient is eligible, et cetera. But it's also because, um, frankly, their, their staff and their call centers are saturated. And uh, so it's about improving the efficiency of care as well as the effectiveness. Um, you used a phrase, which I, I uh, if, uh, hopefully the audience will forgive us for geeking out a little bit on this, but I love this idea of cascaded communication or cascading communication. Can you define that? Yeah, yeah. And um, I agree. The cascaded communication uh, is, is really fascinating, both on the tech side, but also as we think about reaching some of those really vulnerable populations. Um, so on more of the kind of um, public health perspective, I think it's really fascinating too. Um, so that cascaded communication, that's where we have identified the various channels to then message out to those patients as part of those outreach campaigns. And that's where we can really kind of adjust how we connect with patients. So that, for example, 
if we start that cascade with a, an SMS message, for example, to that patient, if we don't get a response within a certain uh, period of time, then we can automatically send out additional communication via other channels. So mm -hmm. some organizations structure that with an SMS message that then will cascade to an email if that SMS message has not been acted upon. And then if that email has not been acted upon, then um, further escalating that to that assistant via the IVR uh, system. So that is definitely something that um, both from a technology perspective is really fascinating and allows for really increasing the engagement aside from the, just those um, kind of more um, common single channel approaches with the SMS reminders, for example, before your doctor's appointments to really uh, improve that engagement. But again, reach some of those really vulnerable populations because we know that there are a lot of inequities and disparities associated both with COVID as a disease, but also as it relates to the vaccine rollout. So making sure that we're reaching those populations that may not have um, good connections or traditional access to healthcare organizations. So here's a question for you. Uh, the engagement concept, right? Um, I think, the audience would love to hear, do we have any stats that speak to the before and after, before implementing an automated cascading outreach program versus what was in place before? And that's, we're assuming in what was in place before were um, humans make, placing phone calls. What's the typical engagement rate? How often do they actually reach individuals? And I guess we have to make some assumptions about how many phone calls they're making, Never mind the cost, right? We had a 78% engagement rate. Of the 78, this is confusing, but of that, 78% of the people that actually engaged responded based on the text. So we had that additional 22% boost with that multi-channel approach. Yeah. So, but I know what we've done is we've been able to essentially reallocate 13 FTEs that were previously doing the outbound calls. Right. I think, I think there, there are two main value props uh, for this kind of proactive outreach. The obvious one, which is just the automation, which is to offload um, busy call centers, right? So uh, in one instance, we know that we have a partner, health system partner who was able to reallocate uh, three full-time FTEs to other activity by automating what they would have normally been doing, which is calling out to patients. So that's, that's one value proposition, which is just offloading the call center and creating some efficiencies there. But um, on top of that, by um, reaching the patients really 24 seven, because the bot can send messages, make phone calls up, hopefully they're not calling at three in the morning, but it can reach out um, with, you know, with the efficiency of automation. And by cascading it, you're creating different ways and different touch points. And it's almost like you're knocking on the front door, you're ringing the doorbell, and you're going down and, and knocking on the back door as well. So you create uh, more uh, touches, uh, which increases the level of engagement, which increases the probability that they're going to actually answer the question and answer the eligibility uh, questions. So um, I think those are the two value propositions. Um, on the steps for uh, engagement, 
Uh, I know that some of this data is still coming in with a few of our, our partners, but we know before that there are industry benchmarks for engagement when it's a call center trying to reach patients in their home. And those numbers, depending on how many, how you, how you factor it, can be anywhere from you know, 20 to 50% engagement. Um, with, our, with our solutions, we're seeing a bit higher than that, fair to say? Yes, absolutely. Um, much higher than that. So with, with our solutions and, and one of the um, outreach campaigns that we've done, we've been able to engage almost 80% of their population. Um, so within that 80% of the population that we have engaged, about 80% of those people have engaged via that first time SMS message. Mm-hmm. But we've picked up that additional more than 20% actually based on either the email or phone outreach. So really seeing that significant boost from using that multi-channel approach and cascading functionality there. Um, And then through that, with that 80% engagement rate, we've been able to reallocate 13 FTEs at that particular provider system to uh, supporting other patient outreach and, and call center activities. So significant savings from that automation from the organization's perspective, but also really uh, important to um, consider the, um, the significant patient impact as far as reaching out and, and connecting with those uh, patient populations. Yeah, um, let's switch gears for a second. And um, because we we're talking about programs for engaging with patients who have either signed up or about to sign up with the, uh, for the vaccine. Um, you know, the data and the news that's coming out right now suggests that there's still quite a large population in the U.S. of um, individuals who aren't planning to get vaccinated. Um, I, saw, I saw a number, it was something like uh, only 50% of the population right now either has plans or has received the vaccination. Um, maybe you can speak to what digital technology is offering to either um, reach those individuals that are reluctant for one reason or another, or to um, provide some sort of uh, remedy to uh, individuals who um, uh, don't have ready access or understanding of what it means to, to be part of a vaccination program like this. Yeah, I think the first thing that I'll just point out is it's it's really multifactorial in terms of why people may not uh, want to um, or plan to receive a vaccine. Um, right now, we are seeing a very high demand. Stats show that right now, uh, most people over 65 and older are willing to receive a vaccine, and and many have. Um, you know, we've at this point had about one in ten. Um, Americans um, receiving um, the vaccine, at least one part of the two-part vaccine. Um, that being said, we anticipate that that's going to shift and that demand will shift. Um, some experts are saying that demand will shift as early as end of March. Um, so uh, pretty pretty interesting to think about right now that um, right now we're still in this um, extreme demand with a limited supply the organizations are still working through kind of the operational um, components of, of programs, understanding um, the, the fluctuations and variations in supply. But again, we're looking at a not so distant future where we actually need to really look at how do we engage with those populations of patients that aren't 
planning to receive a vaccine. And there's so many different strategies that we can take um, via patient outreach and, and um, a digital front door solution to um, account for some of those um, concerns or reasons why people may not want to receive the vaccine. So one is just myths and misinformation. Uh, so being able to address some of that uh, concern from patients via um, knowledge bases that support uh, Q&A with patients. So being able to answer some of those common questions that a patient may have around, um, can I get COVID-19 from a vaccine? Uh, will I test positive for COVID-19 after getting um, the vaccine? What if I'm pregnant? Should I receive the COVID vaccine? Um, so, and so forth. So being able to have those uh, knowledge bases that are provided out of the box uh, with vetted clinical content to address those patient, um, those commonly asked questions from patients is really important. One of the other strategies that we're working with an organization on is embedding uh, videos within their outreach campaigns of trusted community leaders. It's a really interesting behavioral strategy to increasing adoption and accept acceptance um, among patients, but we've seen that in other public health efforts that the more that there are prominent or community-based leaders that can support that message to patients, um, the more uptake those efforts and initiatives will have from patients. So being able to embed some of that kind of multimedia uh, within a patient outreach campaign or a chatbot to um, support some of those key messages. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, <clears throat> I mean, the, the, there, like you said, there are many factors that are informing people's choices. Um, we, we do know that there are uh, demographic, as you pointed out, um, factors that contribute to people's willingness uh, to or desire to get a vaccine, vaccination. Um, the, uh, and it really puts another lens on the outreach program. So right now, if the, the priority is for you know, handle the demand that's coming in right now for those people signing up. But, um, you know, as we approach, and I think this just came out recently, you know, this, this expectation or the possibility that we'll hit a, have a surplus and it completely switches the nature of these outreach campaigns, uh, not just to handle the demand that's coming in, but to just make sure that, uh, the streamlining the processes for those people um, either reluctant to get a vaccine and, and seek, seeking education and assurances um, or those that um, for one reason or another haven't been able to um, get access to the uh, scheduling services, right? Because they're just not aware. What's the longevity of these kinds of solutions? So all of us are thinking positive that uh, we'll reach some point where uh, the vaccine, uh, I think the expression that I've seen, and I don't know if this is a, uh, a negative expression or positive one in the, in the domain, but uh, um, um, uh, herd immunity. At some point when we have enough people vaccinated, we'll achieve some level of herd immunity. Um, and uh, let's assume that happens, hopefully soon that uh, we're back to some level of normalcy. Um, how do you see these kinds of outreach bot virtual system programs um, being applied in other categories past the pandemic? Yeah, that's a great question. I think um, first, just to touch on what you had mentioned around um, the supply and the demand actually flipping here in the somewhat 
not so distant future. Um, I think that it's hard right now for organizations, provider organizations to fathom that um, because of the current um, demand. Mm -hmm. However, uh, we know that that is coming and we know that the mechanisms now uh, to engage with those patient populations um, are going to be really important for us to be very thoughtful around in order to reach that herd immunity. Um, so there's a lot of work still needed to be done to really move the needle in some of these populations where we're seeing more reluctance. Um, so I, I do think that there's um, some, some longevity related to that, along with the fact that, you know, at, the, at this stage, we think that there is, there's definitely a potential for this to be um, an annual vaccine. And one of the things that we know just across uh, public health um, stats and, and programs is that vaccines are, vaccination rates in the US are historically quite low. Um, so it is going to be something that we need to continue to um, do patient outreach for to close care gaps for patients so that um, they are reminded to come in each year for whether that be a COVID vaccine or their other annual vaccines, it will be really important for us to be able to continue to iterate on uh, these, these campaigns and these outreach programs so that patients are continuing to get the care that they need. Um, and as you can imagine, along with vaccines, there's also a lot of other health maintenance activities that lend themselves very well to these outreach campaigns, things like um, annual screenings, like uh, mammograms and colonoscopies uh, are, are really important in order to actually ensure that we are catching diseases early uh, yeah. from a morbidity and mortality perspective, as well as just frankly, a cost perspective. And I think that we all um, are recognizing that there's going to be the second wave post pandemic of, of patients that have deferred care that um, will will really need to be addressed. Um, there's going to be some significant care gaps that result from uh, patients' fear and, and accessing healthcare right now. So there's there's a lot of work to come. Yeah. Uh, well, I think it's fair to say that you can look at some of the work that's being done that we're doing to support the vaccine response and extract some patterns, right? Uh, this idea of um, answering basic questions to uh, uh, address concerns that a patient might have about not just the vaccine, but any kind of treatment that they might be uh, scheduled for. Uh, the idea of proactively reaching out to an at-risk individual um, around a chronic care need or post-acute care recovery um, these are common things. And uh, what I think if there's a silver lining in this whole uh, pandemic and the digital response that we've been um, fortunate to be part of here at Orbita is that people are realizing that these digital technologies have a place in the, in the data for how they can uh, improve engagement, like we talked about with the stats we shared earlier, offload uh, burden call centers while creating and maintaining some level of empathy uh, through the nature of these virtual conversational bots. Um, that has real potential, has real potential for us. And, and we sharpen the interactions that we are deploying. I think uh, we, we see an opportunity to take essentially what we've done, rinse and repeat it across other uh, use cases. So Chelsea, with the work that we're doing in setting up these virtual assistants for the vaccine response, 
are there any uh, best practices that we've learned about um, designing the user experience so that it, it works as optimally as it can for the patient and ultimately the health systems that we're supporting? Absolutely. Uh, I think one of the things that I would really highlight that, that we've um, continued to uh, reinforced through our programs and that we've, we've known for some time, but is really the importance on that um, conversational design and ensuring that that's um, empathetic, that there is trust and rapport that's built with patients and making sure that it's, um, it's something that's consumable, understandable from a general patient population not something that's um, filled with too much clinical jargon or terminology um, and, and different than static content that, you, that may live on a form, for example, on a website. So really important to consider that persona and that overall conversational experience to continue to make sure that um, patients have a um, approachable and um, positive experience with, with that virtual assistant. Yeah, it's tempting when you are designing these virtual assistants to overload the, the information in there because it's a little window um, with the eyes of the patient. And what we found, if I paraphrase some of the points you made, is that you keep it simple and um, keep it natural, conversational, um, and uh, basic, and you get the points across. And, and ideally a little, not completely whimsical, but friendly, that's where the empathy comes in. You know, um, it really wants to come across as a virtual assistant, not as a, a technology bot. Um, yeah, thank you for that. Another thing that um, I think it's worth uh, exploring is the data that comes through these virtual assistant experiences. I think we have learned a few things about um, how patients interact with them, uh, both from the point of view of questions that they might ask or how they answer questions that are asked by the virtual assistant. And then some other things that maybe are a little surprising. Um, can you share a few anecdotes there? Yeah, absolutely. So um, data is really key to all of our projects and programs as we also look into kind of more of the optimization phases with these um, provider groups. So um, one of the um, Things that we'll look at, of course, is the actual content and some of the questions that patients are asking, ensuring that um, we have that robust knowledge base in place so that uh, patients are uh, receiving accurate and comprehensive information. We'll also look at the mechanics of the program. So looking at engagement uh, based on different factors. One of the interesting learnings that we had in a recent program was uh, just uh, changing the timing of our initial outreach, either via SMS or email, to a bit earlier in the day, increased our engagement rates significantly across that population. We realized that just as part of their normal routine, that they were processing that information a little bit earlier in the day. So if we could nudge them at that point, they were more likely to engage as um, compared to, you know, an hour later in their morning when they had already dove into their uh, particular day. Yeah, so interesting. You know, when you talk about examples like that, um, if there are any digital marketers in the audience listening to this, they're all nodding their head because, um, you know, this is what we know about digital outreach generally, is that there are better times of the day to try to communicate with a, an audience. Um, and there are better days of the week, right? 
Um, you know, it, you know, the companies like Orbita, you know, we all do press releases occasionally and there are certain days of the week are better to do press releases than others. And this is a well-known um, and the stats are out there. And so some of these um, patterns and best practices that exist in the traditional digital marketing world can be applied to patient outreach. And uh, I think, uh, you know, maybe there are some differences related to the, the nature of the application, like a vaccine outreach program has the whole demographic overlay like anything would, uh, which is maybe unique to it. But it's so interesting to me um, that uh, how, how uh, technology patterns repeat themselves. Um, well, uh, Chelsea, thank you so much for the time. And uh, hopefully this was uh, fun for you. And, and I know it was informative for the audience and appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Absolutely. Always a pleasure and always fun to chat with you. Thanks everybody for listening. Catch you next time on Conversations with Orbita.